Let us begin our sermon with prayer. Gracious Lord, as we look to your incarnation by viewing the actions of Judah, we ask you to bless our sermon, that we may see your grace comes to the undeserving and learn to glorify you as we live in the light you have brought to us. Amen. Our text for our sermon is the gospel history according to the Apostle Matthew as recorded in chapter 1, verse 5. Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Perez was the father of Hezron. Hezron was the father of Ram. Tamar is a woman. The first time as Jesus' genealogy is listed, all of a sudden, instead of just giving the male, it it gives a female as well. And so today we're going to look at Judah in Jesus' genealogy, and and we're going to see why is Tamar listed? Now, as we answer that question, if you're the kind of Christian that is confused and thinks that the whole point of salvation is good living and good living saves you, you're going to be offended by Bible passages I'm going to read today. The Bible does not hide our sins, and it never hides the sins of the, of the ancestors to Jesus. In fact, if they weren't sinful, they wouldn't have needed the coming descendant who would be their Savior. And if you and I weren't sinful, we wouldn't need a Savior. So as we look at our theme for this year's Advent, Lessons on the Coming of Our Lord from His Genealogy, we're going to see he comes because of our selfishness and sinfulness. Abraham, who we covered last week, had been called out of idolatry, and he already had a wife who had not been a Canaanite. Sarah's passed away, and it's time for Isaac to be married. And so we're told in Genesis 24, verses 1 through 4, Abraham was very old, well into old age. The Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. Abraham said to his servant, the senior supervisor of his house, who was in charge of everything that he had, please put your hand under my thigh. You must swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will not acquire a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I am living. Instead, you shall go to my country and to my relatives and acquire a wife for my son, Isaac." Why did Abraham not want his daughter-in-law to be a Canaanite? Now, we might immediately jump to uh, claiming racism or prejudice, and that's not the case. The Canaanites had rejected the Lord, and they had worshipped Baal and Moloch, who were brothers. Now, Baal was the god of rain. He was a fertility god, and they thought rain came out of... We're just going to say his reproductive organ. And so they had things like temple prostitutes that they used to get him excited so that he would send rain. And we're going to leave it at that as gross as it is. And Moloch, well, you would sacrifice your children to him. Abraham recognizes the coming Savior is coming through Isaac. And Isaac could lose his faith being married to somebody who had so outwardly, so, so much rejected the Lord. Now, Isaac has two sons, Jacob and Esau. They're twins. Esau cares so little about the coming of the Lord, even though he was the firstborn, he sells his birthright to his brother Jacob for a bowl of lentil soup. He cares so little about the coming Savior that he actually marries two Canaanite women, and it becomes pretty apparent that if he has any faith at all, it is just a spark. And when he finds out that his Canaanite wives were detestable to his parents, then he goes off and and he uh, goes to his great uncle, Ishmael, basically, and marries a descendant of his. But it's pretty obvious that Esau, is his top concern is not the Lord. But for Jacob, we're told in Genesis chapter 27, verse 46 through chapter 28, verse 2. 
Rebekah said to Isaac, I'm tired of my life because of the daughters of Heth. If Jacob takes a wife from the daughters of Heth, these daughters of the land, what good will my life do me? So Isaac called Jacob, blessed him, and commanded him, You shall not take a wife from the daughters of Canaan. Get up, go to Pedan Aram to the house of Bethuel, your mother's father. Take a wife from there from the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. Now, we know the rest of the story. He's supposed to marry Rachel instead. Uh, Laban, his father-in-law, tricks him and he marries Leah first. Now, Rachel is the one who will have the two sons that he really favors, uh, his last two sons, which are uh, Joseph and Benjamin. But the one through whom the Savior is going to come is Judah. Now, Judah is one of the brothers that sells Joseph off into slavery. And so we're told about Judah and his. We, we can see something about the strength of Judah's faith in Genesis 38 verses 1 through 5. About that time, Judah went down from his brothers and visited a man from Adullam named Hira. There Judah saw a daughter of a Canaanite man named Shua. He took her as a wife and went to her. She conceived and gave birth to a son, and he named him Ur. She conceived again and gave birth to another son, and she named him Onan. She gave birth to yet another son and named him Shelah. It was at Kazib that she gave birth to Shelah. Like his uncle Esau, Judah is not concerned about the coming Savior. And when he says that he saw a daughter of a Canaanite man, the way this story plays out with other things I'm going to cover, safe to assume that in Judah, it wasn't love at first sight. It was lust at first sight. And if we want to excuse him, say, well, maybe he saw that in her she wasn't so bad for the Canaanite women. In Genesis 38, verse 6, we're told Judah took a wife for Ur, his firstborn. Her name was Tamar. He kept picking Canaanite women out because he really was indifferent about the coming of the Lord. Now, you would think that the Lord would therefore pick Joseph, who, you know, when he's at this time, he's probably uh, running Potiphar's house. And at some point in time, Potiphar's wife screams, come to bed to me. And he says, how can I do this sin against the Lord? He ends up when he's in control of Pharaoh's uh, affairs. He ends up being married to an Egyptian woman who did not practice as perverse of a religion. So we would think, ah, Joseph, he, you know, he's the guy who was a model believer. But Judah, we've seen so far, Judah's no model believer. He's indifferent in, in so many cases. But brothers and sisters in Christ, let's admit it, there have been times where we've been indifferent as well. God is a God of grace. Judah was not picked because he had a role model faith. In fact, we've seen he was indifferent towards the coming Savior at best. Judah was picked because God is a gracious Lord. He takes sinners and makes them believers. Now, continuing on our story, because we've got to figure out why is Tamar, his daughter-in-law, mentioned uh, in that genealogy. In Genesis 38, verses 6 through 7, we're told, Judah took a wife for Ur, his firstborn. Her name was Tamar. It turned out that Ur, Judah's firstborn, was wicked in the sight of the Lord, so the Lord killed him. Whoa! This should be the one through whom the coming Savior would, would be passed on, the genealogy, but he's not. In fact, we can surmise that his sin bothered the Lord enough. The Lord said he's not going to be the Savior, but we don't want to make it sound like morals again or what save us. In this particular case, the man is so wicked that God says, uh-uh, I'm going to terminate your line. This, the coming Savior is not coming through you. And imagine, 
mean, when God, for example, destroys Sodom and Gomorrah, it's because they rejected the Lord so much. And that's seen by their sin of wanting to rape those. They didn't know they were angels, but rape those angels to death. And Ur must have really been, really have rejected the Lord in utter sinfulness that the Lord strikes him dead. So Tamar, we know, is going to be an ancestor for the Lord. And already her first husband gets struck dead. The Lord comes because of our sinfulness. So far, Judah has the sin of indifference, and we're going to see Judah has more sins. And the son through whom the Lord should come, he's so sinful that the Lord strikes him dead. The Lord has had enough with that. We recognize, again, if we think that the Lord picks us because we're so goody two-shoes, uh-uh. You're not even looking at the word of God if you think that. The Lord comes because we are sinners. We can't save ourselves. We need a savior. And Judah should have done a better job of raising his children up in the Lord. But maybe we could say to excuse him, well, maybe it was just a mistake with her, although we've already seen that Judah is pretty indifferent towards the Lord. Now, we've got to recognize at this time in that part of the world, it was if you were uh, if you had a wife and you didn't have a child by her, they didn't have 401ks. So your brother was to marry her and have a child by her. And that first child in that marriage was to be considered your child and he would get your inheritance. So she would have somebody who could do the farming and would be her retirement and take care of her in her old age. So this is actually uh, kind of a neat way, if you look at it from that angle, of providing for a woman who has been widowed. So we're told in Genesis 38, verses 8 through 10, Then Judah said to Onan, Go to your brother's wife, perform your duty for her as the brother of her deceased husband, and provide offspring for your brother. Onan knew that the offspring would not be his, so whenever he went to his brother's wife, he wasted his. The actual ingredients in a baby's listed here, but we'll uh, soften it and say seed, which is the Hebrew word, seed on the ground, so that he would not provide offspring for his brother. But the thing that he did was evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord killed him also. Onan recognized, now, if this is the only child he has, the kid gets his brother's inheritance first. And so what does Onan do? Is there any love towards his uh, now deceased brother? Is there any love towards it's now his wife? She was his sister-in-law in wanting to see she's taken care of? No. He doesn't want this child to get the inheritance or even if it's the only child he has to get his inheritance. He's just in it for the pleasure. Let's just be blunt. And the sad thing is, that's very selfish of him, isn't it? He's deceiving this poor woman and he's using her. That's all there is to it. It detests the Lord. Onan's sin is wicked enough. He obviously himself doesn't care about the coming savior or that blessing. And the Lord strikes him dead. So we're told in verse 11, then Judah said to Tamar, his daughter-in-law, remain a widow in your father's house until my son Shelah is grown up. Actually, he had said to himself, I do not want him to die like his brothers. So Tamar went and lived in her father's house. Judah lies to Tamar. Think about this. Judah should have stopped and said, wow, I raised these two kids. I didn't care about the coming Savior. I didn't make the Lord the first and foremost thing in their lives. I have a chance to correct it because Sheila is not, uh, is not at the age where we marry them, which was between, uh, with boys, about 16 and 18, roughly. So he has a chance to correct it. Instead, 
he tells a lie. He gets selfish. I don't want to lose my son. Instead of going, gee, it might be because I didn't raise my children up with the Lord uh, first and foremost. And it's interesting how I've met people who are very scientific. And for example, they buy a car and it gets hit a couple of times. And in spite of their having a very scientific mind, they might be outright atheists who are basing everything on science, turn around, get superstitious and say, this car is jinxed. Uh, It's time to get a different car. Maybe some of that's also going through Judah's mind. But in the long run, Judah's being selfish. I want to keep my son. I don't care about the coming savior. I don't care about the inheritance for the other two boys. And I don't care about Tamar, who I'm by my lie, I could release her and tell her the truth, say, I release you and, and let's go find you a different husband. Huh? So there's a complete selfishness here between Onan's sin and then his father Judah's sin. And brothers and sisters in Christ, Let's admit it, this is one of the greatest sins. Every one of us, even some of the people that come across as the most loving, have those times when they can be completely selfish. Again, we need a savior because the first God we worship is the God of ourself. We have a hard time looking past our own nose. We tend to say, what's in it for me? Look out for number one. So we need a savior. So we see that the savior comes because of our sins, our sins of indifference, our just outright sinfulness and our sins of selfishness. Now we've got quite a section to read for what happens next, starting at Genesis chapter 38, verse 12. After some time, Shua's daughter, the wife of Judah, died. When Judah had finished mourning, he went up to his sheep shears at Timnah, he and his friend Hira, the Adulamite. Tamar was told, look, your father-in-law is going up to Timnah to shear his sheep. She took off the garments that identified her as a widow. Let's just stop there. See, because of his selfishness, his deception and his lie, she's dressing herself as a widow. So other men know, don't touch me. I'm off limits. And the text continues, the second half of verse 14, covered herself with her veil, disguised herself and sat down in the gate of Enaim, which is on the way to Timnah, because she saw that Shelah had grown up, but she was not going to be given to him as a wife. When Judah saw her, he thought that she was a prostitute because she had covered her face. He turned to her by the roadside and said, please let me come to you. We know what he means by that. Because he did not know that she was his daughter-in-law. She said, what will you give me so that you may come to me? He said, I will send you a young goat from the flock. She said, will you give me something as a security deposit until you send the goat? We have to remember at this time money hasn't been invented yet. He said, what should I give you as a deposit? She said, your stamp seal on its cord and your staff that is in your hand. He gave them to her, went to her, and she conceived by him. Then she got up and left. Later she took off her veil and put on her and put her widow's garments back on. Now, we're going to be told something here as well about Judah, because when Judah sends his friend, he calls her a sacred prostitute. Judah had assumed that she was a Baal prostitute, didn't care, wanted to get his sin there taken care of and doesn't realize that it's his daughter-in-law who he had tricked, tricking him. So, Judas, verse 20, Judas sent the young goat with his friend, the Adulamite, to get back the deposit from the woman's possession, but he could not find her. So he asked the men from that place, where is the sacred prostitute who was by the road at Enaim? They said, there hasn't been any sacred prostitute here. So he returned to Judah and said, I could not find her. And the men of the place said, there hasn't been any sacred prostitute here. Judah said, let her keep it so that we are not disgraced. Look, I did send this young goat, but you were unable to find her. 
Suddenly, Judah's worried about honor. He doesn't care about the honor of the Lord. He doesn't care that he's sleeping with a, with a woman he thinks is a prostitute for Baal. But notice how suddenly his honor is going to come into play in a different way. Verse 24. About three months later, Judah was told, Tamar, your daughter-in-law, has prostituted herself, and even worse, she is pregnant by prostitution. Judah said, bring her out and burn her. Never mind the fact that he had never arranged a marriage for her or anything else as he was supposed to. Oh, but his honor's on the line, this honor that we just talked about. So have her killed. Verse 25. When she was brought, she sent this message to her father-in-law. I'm pregnant by the man to whom these things belong. She also said, please help me identify who these are. This stamp seal on its cord and the staff. Judah recognized them and said, she's more righteous than I because I did not give her to Sheila, my son. But he was not intimate with her again. Judah had deceived Tamar. Tamar used deception so she could stay within the confines of the law of the land, if you will, and not be considered an adulteress. And through her deception, actually, she would become pregnant and the Savior would come through that. Are we any better than Judah or Tamar in being being deceiving? There's a commandment. It goes, thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. Whenever we gossip, whenever we tell a lie, if we assume the worst of somebody without the actual evidence to assume the worst, if we backstab people without talking to them about the way they've hurt us first, I could go on and on. We are just as guilty of breaking that commandment. We too can be deceptive. Now, why was Tamar listed in this? We need a savior. He comes for sinners, including the sin of deception. In this particular case, Tamar is the first Gentile listed in Jesus's genealogy. And boy, is there a lot of sin involved in all of that. However, it is a reminder for us that he is a gracious God. He comes for sinners, and he wasn't just for the direct descendants of Abraham, Abraham being a descendant of Shem, who had got off the ark, but he came for the Gentiles. For example, as a Canaanite, Tamar would be a descendant of Ham, who was another brother on the ark, and most of us uh, who are in European descent are uh, descendants of the third brother who was on the ark. So as we look at all that, we rejoice because there is, there, there is a, a goyim as the Hebrew word. There's a Gentile already listed in Jesus' genealogy showing salvation is for all of us. And he comes through this terrible, wicked sin of, uh, of all the way. So we see lessons in the coming of our Lord from his genealogy. He comes because of our selfishness and sin. He has to deal with them and remove them, right? If we weren't sinners, we wouldn't need a savior. So he comes in spite of our, because of our sin of indifference. And when he enters our heart with the Holy Spirit, we stop being indifferent. He comes because of our sinfulness. And when he enters our heart with this Holy Spirit, we receive his blood and it washes our sin away. He comes because of our selfishness. This is a big sin we struggle with. And when the Holy Spirit enters our heart, our life changes and we live for God's love and we live to show God's love to our fellow man. It's only by that supernatural act of having a new person that comes because of the Savior that we're able to not be selfish. And he comes because of our sin of deception. And now with the light of his truth shining on us, we're able to shine the truth that we all need a Savior and have a Savior to others. Amen. Now, may the God of hope fill you with complete joy and peace as you continue to believe so that you overflow by the hope and power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.